everyone, and welcome to episode 115 of Connectivity. Uh, this week we have one big segment for you, and then one little extra bonus segment at the end. The big segment this week is all about our 2013 Games of the Year, uh, that features myself, Neil, Zach, and Alex. And after the outro, we have a Doctor Who Christmas special recap with myself, Nicholas, and Amanda. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Today, I have Alex with me. Hi. Zach Miller. Take them. <laughs> and Neil Ronahan. Hi. Oh, wait, or would this be better? Hi, I'm Daisy. There you go. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, and today, we're talking about our games of the year. Uh, in traditional the fashion. The goaties. Yeah, will. the goaties. The connectivities. Uh... That doesn't really work. I mean, it works too well, so it doesn't work. Um, in traditional fashion, at least I think it's traditional fashion. I, I can't really remember back a year. Uh, we're going to do our top three games to appear on Nintendo platforms, and then we will do one non-Tendo game, so a game from any other platform. I think Carl is responsible for that pun. Non-Tendo? I mean, Probably. like, it's been done before, but he's the per- he's why it's here. I like it. I've always liked it. I always liked it, too. I like Totes McGoaties. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not as, nice. I'm not as big on that one. Yeah. Um, so we are going to start with our own Zach Miller. Zach, Hi. what is your number three game of 2013? Number three game of 2013 is, no surprise here, Senran Kagura. Really? That cracked <laughs> wow. the top three. It did, mainly because I didn't play that many Nintendo <laughs> games this year. But, hey, uh, it's it's, like I said last time, it's kind of a mindless action game. It has what I like in it. There you go. And I can just marathon it while I watch the feud. <laughs> I, love, I love, like, when did this, have you always called it the feud? Or was yes. it something that developed over time? No, it's always been the feud. Okay. And are you, are you, have you always been a really big Family Feud fan? Only when Steve Harvey started. Really? Yeah. Have you always been a big Steve Harvey fan? Uh, I like his comedy, but... Um, okay. But when he started hosting the feud, I mean, it was like a whole new show. It's real. Yeah. Why are we talking about the feud instead of Senran Kagura? Um, well, because I want to get straight to it. Is Steve okay. Harvey your your host of the year for 2013? <laughs> <laughs> My host of the year was uh, Jeff Keeley and Joel McHale in the VGX. Oh, <laughs> oh I missed that. That's I didn't terrible. even want to watch it. Uh, communities shouldn't. tonight, by the way. I slowly drank over the course of that, and it wasn't that bad. No, I'll bet it got good. Yeah. Did anyone Near scream? the end, I'm just like, okay, there's some guys, they're talking about GTA music or something, whatever. <laughs> whatever. So, Zach, apart from boobs, yeah. tell us a little bit about what makes this game number three for you, and, and apart from the fact that you can watch Family Feud, apparently, while you play it. Um, it's, you know, it's got a little bit of strategy in it. It's, um, it's goal-oriented, which I like. It's the kind of game where... You know, there's it's it's not super long, and you can always say, well, I'm going to do just one more mission, you know, before I go to bed. And, and soon, you know, the whole night's passed you by. Um, and you can, you know, I beat one of the games, um, the good samurai, or the good girls game. Now I'm into the mm-hmm. bad girls game. And, oh, you uh, the bad girls, don't you? Yeah. No, they're, they're actually kind of jerks. But they have, but what's interesting, what, another thing that I like about, uh, Sinran is that the story is actually kind of interesting. Um, 
for what there is. Because isn't it kind of like visual novel-y? It has, its, it has visual novel parts. Um, there are certain chapters that are visual novels. And, uh, you know, in the good guy story, you just get the good guy story and the bad guys are just the bad guys. But in the bad guy story, I mean, they have their own story and their own view on things and the way they do things. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to get both perspectives. Cool. Yeah, I like it. It's, and it's, you know, a download game. And, and like I say, you could play it all night and not really get bored and watch the feud. <laughs> Marathon the feud. Yes. Um, so, Alex, what is your number three game of 2013? So, I haven't talked a lot about this game to anyone. So maybe anyone who knows me, this might come as a surprise. But it's a sequel. It's a sequel that not a lot of people might think of when they think of the instant game of the year. But it was my first time playing this series, and my number three choice is Pikmin 3. Out of China, out. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Pikmin I was 3. Wondering if, I was wondering if that would pop up. <laughs> uh, I like this game, well, since it's my first real foray into the Pikmin series, everything's play... new to me. So did you, you didn't play any of the new play controls at all? No, I've played a little bit of the first Pikmin. I didn't get into it, and then I dropped it. So I was a little two. wary getting into uh, the and then three. Did you play the Nintendo Land Pikmin thing at all? Well, I tried everything on Nintendo Land, and it it was fun, but I didn't uh, assume it was going to be a great indicator for the final game. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, like the, the Nintendo Land Pikmin thing is kind of fun, but it doesn't really show, I guess, the depth of yeah. the actual experience. So, uh, no, I was just curious about where you were coming from coming into Pikmin. Yeah, I'm pretty much completely fresh. Uh, so the reason why I like this game is because I like that it's different. It itches that Nintendo itch that does something familiar, something that resembles something you've seen before, but is on its own completely unique. I like Pikmin 3 because it has a little bit of strategy, it has a little bit of an action game, and it has a little bit of a puzzle game. Like, it takes the most fun parts of each of those genres, and it kind of makes them into one game. Uh, and one other thing I like is, specifically in the way the story is told, the story is kind of bare bones, but it's so colorful, it's so Nintendo, it's so simple, and it's... It's just a joy to watch the three characters and their story unfold, even I've, though it's not that deep. I really like the writing for, like, at the end of day things. Like, sometimes, of course, I'd want to just get to the next day and play it. But sometimes there would be, like, I think there's the one where there's a poem. Um, and just kind of a lot of, like, goofy uh, Nintendo-y stuff, as it were. Mm. It's funny in the, and in cute. The writing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not an award-winning story or anything, but it's just fun. Right. And, like... Like like Alex said, like it kind of illustrates what can be done if Nintendo kind of takes their magic and applies it in in new and different areas. Where it not it Nintendo games aren't like cute and enjoyable because they're strictly Mario or Zelda. It's like it's it's born into Nintendo and they can put these in other properties. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. I loved the experience from beginning to end because there was just so much joy to be found in the game, even though it was on the easy side. Uh, but the last thing I do want to comment on is how fucking good the game looks. <laughs> I would be I have had a PS3, a PS4, I mean, since it came out. 
and Pikmin 3 is still the most beautiful game I've ever seen. Did you go wow. back and play any of the Christmas DLC or whatever it was? I never touched, like, the secondary modes. I strictly stuck to the uh, okay. story. That's what I, I was kind of hoping that they do story DLC, and I don't think there's hope lost for it. But I, I that's what I want more out of that game. Like, I, I, I digged around in the, the secondary, like, the mission modes a little bit, but... They never gripped me as much as the story did. And I just really loved, like, I would just got kind of lost in that game. There were a couple nights where I'd just sit down and be like, I'm going to play like a half hour of Pikmin. And then it would be three in the morning and I'd be like, oh, what happened? <laughs> that That is a game I, I want to play because I like the first two Pikmin a lot. Yeah, I mean, it basically, Zach, it marries what's good about Pikmin 1 and Pikmin 2 into one game and makes it even better. Nice. And I think that's why that game works so well, is that it takes what's good about the previous games and just makes, like, this super game that still feels new. It is very, very good. Um, So we will go to me now. For my number three game of 2013, it's actually a game uh, two of us, well, uh, three of us, I should say, talked about uh, on another segment, and that would be Rayman Legends. I just oh, got yeah. that on Vita. It's so good! Right. It's okay. Right. <laughs> it's whatever. <laughs> and we're back. Um, I just really enjoyed it. I mean, it, I, I wrote as much of my review. We've talked about it before. Yeah, no, I mean, it, your review is wonderful. I just yeah. don't agree with it. No, and that's fine. I mean, every, you know, obviously yeah. difference of opinion, and that's okay. But for me, I, and I've said as much before, but it, it struck that perfect balance between the uh, polish of Nintendo's like Mario and Donkey Kong games and the like insane difficulty and creativity of uh, some of the indie 2D platformers that have come out in the past couple of years, like Super Meat Boy and Cloudberry Kingdom. I mean, Rayman Origins was a, a good-looking game to begin with, but then Rayman this Legends... This is somehow better-looking, yeah. It looks beautiful. Um, yeah. It's not, like, I mean, I think that, you know, if you're talking, like, comparing it to Pikmin 3, it's not, like, the kind of thing where you're like, oh, it looks like a next-gen game, even though it is going to be on PS4 and Xbox One in February. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does look really nice, and that art style just pots it, it looks beautiful the only the only my only criticism so far and i'm very early in the game is oh, i hate the murphy levels i hate <laughs> yeah, them so much need to go die in a fire how do they do you use the touch screen like on yep. the uh, on the vita yep. yeah and you ro- That's, rotate the vita to do the rotating stuff and i feel like i would have liked it more if i played it on 360 or ps3 with rather just have the, a button yeah in multiplayer the murphy stuff is fun but that's oh, I'll it. bet that's true yeah yeah. Well, I was just I I was just agreeing with you. I played the game mostly multiplayer, so for me the Murphy levels weren't a problem because you're not handicapped by having this slow ass computer like just slowly <laughs> walks across the stage. I mean, you, you, it feels like you're still playing because you're playing with a competent human partner. <laughs> and I kind of understand how like you know they wanted single players to be able to experience the Murphy stuff, but I feel like maybe and, and I guess to an extent you can kind of like beat the game from start to finish with ignoring all that. But it's still frustrating because, like, for example, if you, like, I was in a spot where I ended up getting to a point where I just skipped the Murphy levels, and in order to get that last, the last world, I had to go back and beat all the fucking Murphy levels. Oh. It makes them a million times worse when you have to yeah. play back-to-back. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's also, for me, it's virtually impossible to get, like, all the lums on a Murphy level because the AI is stupid. Yeah, because yep. you need to guide them, more or less. Yeah. I don't know. It was, I think... I personally enjoyed the Murphy levels, but I think what I really enjoyed about the game is that it was a multi-platform game that felt like it belonged on Wii U. Like, it's probably the only game, really, I can describe that way, where 
it just feels right at home on Wii U. And I just imagine playing this with a controller, or even playing this on the Vita, would probably be the inferior experience. It wouldn't yeah. be as pure as playing it on the lead platform. Yeah, yeah, you know why? Because all the Wii U versions of most third-party games are outsourced. Or, I guess, not done by the A-Team. Like, I, I, I'm not 100% sure with, like, Assassin's Creed, but I think that's, like, there's a team that worked on porting it to Wii U. I think Epic Mickey with 2 Blacklist. Yeah, represents Wii U third-party support. Oh, my God. That, that, that Wii U version came out within a year. I think it started in March and came out in November. That's when that they is. added that skew. But anyway, <laughs> happiness. So, um, anywho, Neil, what is your number three game? For my number three game of 2013 is Luigi's Mansion Dark World. Ah. Um, it, this was a tough-fought battle. Uh, Fire Emblem is on the outside looking in, in this case. Um, but Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, I think why it gets the nod over that is that I love the single player. I've gone back and played some of the single player. Um, I feel like it loses nothing in the mission-based structure. I think it just makes it more friendly on portables because you still get that exploration oh, yeah. of everything around there because you're still going through the level. It's just you basically have these save points every now and then. And I just I really like the structure. I think the game looks beautiful. The levels are wonderfully designed. Um, the music is fantastic. Uh, there's there's one or two boss battles that are a little frustrating, but on the whole, they're all really cool. I like the finale a whole lot. And uh, the multiplayer, which is probably one of my favorite multiplayer experiences on 3DS. Um, I've got That's a lot of mileage good. of that. You know, uh, I mean, not necessarily PAX East, but people, no, no one had really played the game at that point. There, There is a learning curve for the multiplayer, but if you're playing with a couple people who, you know, had played the game in single player, it's a blast. Um, and I had a lot of fun with that, like going to street pass events and stuff like that. That would usually be the multiplayer game that I would yeah. play. There was like a month span where my wife and I, every night we sat down and we played a bunch of it's multiplayer. So good. And I yeah. doubted it because I remember, I think it was right before the review. I got to do them. Like, I think, uh, you know, cause you can do download play. So I played that with people locally and that was really fun. And I didn't think the online would be that fun, but the online was still pretty damn fun. Yeah. Um, cause I played with Don, uh, for a few rounds and we also hmm. mixed it up with some randoms, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I love that game, and it's really, I I think I made a joke about how, because I gave Next Level Games' last Nintendo game, Punch-Out, a 10 out of 10. And this game was damn close to getting the same. I gave it a 9.5 when I reviewed it, and I didn't think that was going to fucking happen at all. Because <laughs> I think there might even be a podcast show from, like, January, where, Scott, you made a crack about it. I'm like, <laughs> they'd have to do a lot, and they almost did it. <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, yeah, it's a sweet game. I, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, and I, I really did enjoy it. Um, to me, it's like the, the production value is what sends it over the, over the moon for me. Um, just all the little touches. I mean, getting, like, just the, uh, the ringtone, the, the, the ringtone for the, the DS, um. The, the elevator music being the menu music from Mario. Exactly. Directors. <laughs> yeah, and, and just all like Luigi's expressions. He's so animated throughout the entire game. I mean, it really he feels like a little cartoon character. Mario. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's very enjoyable. It, it's much better than I ever expected. Is he searching for Mario in this game? No, I don't think he's searching for Mario. No, I think in this he's just he's just helping. Uh, what, Professor, Professor Egad. Yeah. So, 
Uh, Zach, your All number right. two game of 2013. Number two was Link Between Worlds before all of you reminded me that Wind Waker came out a few months ago. So it's Wind Waker. Wow. Ooh. So oh. damn good. I do love me some Wind Waker. Mm-hmm. The best part about this is that you reminded this because I was talking about how I'm not going to have Wind Waker on my top three. <laughs> and I freaked out. Somebody has to have Wind Waker up there. <laughs> Uh, it was good 10 years ago. It's better now. Yeah, it's uh, a damn good game. All of the, I mean, you know, they didn't, they didn't really shorten the Triforce quest. Uh, I mean, they did yeah, in that yeah. you don't have to get a whole bunch of more maps decoded, but you're still getting the same maps. That was never really made clear in any of the early reviews. Uh, so, you know, it was kind of weird when I'd get a treasure map and be like, oh, cool, I'll go to this uh spot and oh it's a triforce piece okay like you can get triforce pieces long before you go on the triforce quest so that was strange but it was good and the graphics are unbelievably good like i don't know it looked like a living cartoon in 2002 or three whatever um but it really does now and i really hope that they you know take the series make a sequel to a real sequel to wind waker with these graphics you know because phantom hourglass was not a real sequel i don't care what anyone says and um it's just so beautiful and such a unique design that that doesn't really age and and i think they have a real gem on their hands with this aesthetic and i hate to see it die uh especially with in this hd treatment so I really like it. I really like the swift sail, even though getting it is kind of a chore. Um, and you kind of have to know where to go. Like, you have to be – if you don't know where it is, you're not going to find it. Um, that that kind of sucks, but whatever. I would like to see, since the Wii U has the horsepower, I would love to see a sequel that has much more, um, like, land real estate in it. Oh, yeah. And instead of the one thing per square having more to it. I agree. But yeah. Like, like obviously, the sea is, is – as has been used in things like Skyward Sword and even, like, Mario Galaxy. You know, it's easier to have these small, self-contained environments, and you can do more with them uh, with weaker hardware. But with the Wii U, um, it should be no problem having, like, a really awesome-looking um, Wind Waker sequel that has, yeah, much, much larger landscapes and more to do, yeah. uh, like, on foot, more to explore rather than, like, or just traveling just across an empty Or even just take the concept like they tried to do in the Sky and Skyward Sword, but, I don't know, actually put shit in it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I just, I all I want, like, I just remember Ocarina of Time and, like, being in Hyrule Field and how amazing that was. I want that, like, times a million. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I would, at this point, I would totally take a, a Wind Waker sequel over, like, a super serious-looking uh, HD Zelda game. I would really yeah. be happy with a, a Wind Waker sequel. And the gamepad item switching is so well done, like... Just everything about that remake is yeah, well done. Everything about it is great. I I give it a ten. No question. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I know you did. Neil did. I, Neil I agree right. with you. <laughs> so, Alex, your number two game of two thousand thirteen. So, uh this was very surprising to me because I honestly thought I was going to be the only one with this game on my list, but as it turns out, my number two Nintendo game of the year 
is also the Legend of Zelda, the Wind Waker HD. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, well, see, Alex, I feel like it's more legit for you because you've never played it before. Well, it's not only more legit because it's a whole new game for me, but it's also new because I was hating on this game before it came out. Because I knew it had a short development cycle. I knew they probably didn't add that much stuff to it. So it had my cynicism going against it when I actually bought the game for no reason. Good game. It's so, such a goddamn good game. Here's what I love about this game from the perspective of an outsider looking in. Sean Connery as the Prince of Red Dragons? More than that, Zach. What I love about this game is that it takes what I love about Zelda and it twists it while still maintaining its identity. Uh, Link is the hero, but he's not quite the hero of time. He's more like this curious Japanese boy who just falls into a bunch of situations. Uh, Almost a little bit, I don't want to say diehard, but almost like a normal kid who (laughs) who doesn't seem that prepared. That's beautiful. But ends up saving the world in the process. I like the world because it's sort of like Hyrule Field, but it's not quite getting point A to point B. The game the game is so expansive in its ocean that it's actually really fun to get lost. Oh, yeah. And I like this because in something like Ocarina of Time, where it might get a little frustrating when you have to find something and you have no idea what to do... I didn't mind getting lost in dealing with the obtuse uh, Triforce quest because it was so fun to sail around and figure out what I had to do exactly. on my own. Exactly, man. I think exactly. if you are taking the pussy route out and you are using <laughs> game facts to play this game, you are doing it wrong and you are having a bad time. Amen. What you need to do is enjoy this as the classic experience it surely was when it came out. Sit down. Uh, deal with the challenging puzzles and pretty easy combat on your own, and just pile through it, regardless of how uh, hopeless the situation may seem. Because it's tough, but it's just tough enough. I believe combat's never been better in a Zelda game. It's very good. It is very good. That's the truth, truth! Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it is the kind of thing, like, when I first went through it, like, I, I didn't have that patience... And as I've gotten older and more zen-like, I have the patience to play through the game. It's really, it's way more enjoyable that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is a... uh, What a fucking awesome game. game. It's kind of great to get a a re-release of probably one of the more inventive Zelda games, and then an incredibly new inventive Zelda game in the same year, like a couple months apart. It's good stuff. Like, it reminds you, like, for as much as you might think Zelda has stagnated, getting those two games within the same year kind of inspires uh, confidence in the future of the series, yep. I think. so. I, I can completely agree. Um, so, my number two game of 2013 is Super Mario 3D World. Oh, oh okay. Now, what it was could very, number one be? It was very, very, very close. I know what his number I, one is. Yeah. I have, I have two ideas. Um... 3D World is just, it's just so fantastic. I mean, there's just no way around it. Now, hold on, Scott. Yeah. I haven't played this game. Sure. Because everybody who plays single player only has said it's just going through the motions. It's much better as a multiplayer game with somebody who knows what they're doing, but none of my friends do. Zach, it's still a really goddamn fun game. Yeah. Playing it by yourself. 
Okay. As I did for most of it. When you play it by yourself, how it's going to go is probably the first world, maybe even most of the second world, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to think, like, okay, like, this isn't necessarily I something I haven't seen before. I believe it's the second or third level on in the third world is when you're just like, oh, these guys aren't fucking around. Yeah, and then it, and then it just keeps going from there. It's not like, like, I don't know how much you played of New Super Mario Bros. U, but I feel like I that game it. got great. I beat it. I 100% of okay. that game. Yeah, it, it, it follows that kind of trajectory where it's still never, like, Super, super challenging, but it's hard enough. It's the right balance. It got hard enough when you're trying to collect all the coins at a level. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, it, it, it is that same kind of difficulty. Yeah. Okay. Well, and see, even 3D World, or um, New Super Mario Bros. U, I think, got great, but much further in. Like, the yeah. really, really inventive stuff, to me, hit, like, in almost the last two worlds, and then the bonus world. Yeah. Whereas, like, with 3D World, it really hits much quicker, and there's a ton of bonus content after the game okay. uh, is over. A like ton. It's a, the, the, playing through that game, I'd just be like, all right, I think I'm, oh, shit, there's another world? Nice. Um, and exactly. it just keeps on going. Eventually it ends. But. And, and <laughs> they're so, like, they're, they're that perfect... They're not too small and they're not too big, so it's totally easy to just like think like one more level, one more level, and then all of a sudden it's like three a.m. and you've just been playing nonstop. Nice. Um, it's so. Great. I still. I mean, I I sincerely adored playing through that game, but I, I I hate to be one of those assholes, but I am of the camp like I I want a sequel to Mario sixty four. I don't want another three D land. Yeah, 3D me too. Game. I want something new. I and, don't know. And yeah. This game was kind of emblematic of. Like I, it's a still an awesome game, but I just I want to see something new. And can you imagine? Can really you imagine just like a uh, modern graphics version of Mario sixty four with better physics? That's what I was hoping for at E three, and I didn't fucking get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that that'll that'll come eventually. I I will say I thought this game I same as you like when it was first announced and they showed all the previews and stuff. I I didn't consider it like a real true three D Mario game, but. I really do now. I, it, oh, yeah. it's, not, it's not the sequel to Super Mario 64, no, but it is far and away better than the, the recent 2D Mario games. Definitely. It is, it is so great. I mean, the, the cat suit's fucking great. I really love what the double cherry power-up adds. Like, it's, it's, it's really, like, I'd be foolish to say that it's a bad game because I don't, I don't believe that. It's just that I was left at the end of it being like, okay, this was really cool, but I want something more. And it wasn't that it was lacking content. It was that, like, I wanted something new. I didn't want... 3D land with a cat suit and a double cherry power up that were pretty cool, but yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah, I don't really want uh, 64 2 either. Like I, these games are all excellent. Like I've hated on 3D World a lot over the last few months, and I'm sure it's an amazing game. But it's not the game I want. The game I want isn't Mario 64. It's the next game that does what Mario 64 does. Yes, yes, that's exactly what. That's what I. I mean. And I and I hate to get so much in that kind of like this is how I felt six months ago, but but before E three, I was like I don't know what this new three D Mario is going to be like, but I just want to have like my fucking head my head blown apart. And when I heard Super Mario three D World, my heart just sank a little bit. And I played it at E three, and it was great. It's tons of fun, but I just I want something new, right? And that's why it didn't make my top three. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> that's fair but i still loved it to bits oh yeah, and, yeah. i mean played through the entire thing i should probably green stop star. talking whenever you mention your three because i've shit on two of them <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I don't mind. i'll talk some mad shit about your number two okay uh, you probably you probably fun. can what is your number okay. two neil uh my, my number two okay. can you guess scott i'll give you a guess i was gonna say is it runner is it runner two <laughs> yes it is it is bitcher presents uh runner two so good of rhythm alien um and 
this game basically got cemented as being one of my fucking favorite games of the year because I literally played through all of it on Vita. I'm in the process of doing that right now. Um, I just, you know, I I adored Bishop Runner, and this is like that, but even better. Um, It just, it has a lot of content. It doesn't really, it doesn't creep up to the, like, kind of balls-hard challenge of Bishop Runner. But that's not necessarily what I want. Either. I think I think so. the later last level gets some balls hard challenge. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, like I really like I I just really enjoy Runner Two, and it's the kind of game that I can just sit back and play over and over again and zone uh, out. Kind of like you get in a zone. Like mutant muds. Um, you do. And I just I love playing it. I love the music. I love the levels. Uh, I played the, this time with the the uh, what is it? The Good Friends character DLC pack. So I'm playing as Doctor Fetus. Nice boy. Spelunky guy quote from K story, and that's a lot of fun too. You gotta love any game that uh, starts with retro graphics that might make anyone's eyes glaze over, but in the sequel, it totally sacrifices most of its retro qualities and just becomes a totally modern game that stands on its own merits. I was totally skeptical about you know the, the new art style change when I when I first saw it, but. I mean, it works. It, it works, works really so, well. So well. It looks amazing. Yeah, when you're seeing it in motion. And has anyone has anyone else uh, come to the conclusion that the first world is actually Columbia from Bioshock Infinite? <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> I do love even the variation of the worlds, like in the narration. It's just got like this really like yeah, the narration sense is great. of humor. The reverse merman, I fucking love. Like that makes me laugh every time I see it. <laughs> You have the dude with the hamburger for a head. Wet like, fart cheeseburger. cheeseburger or whatever. Like, it's just, it, I, I love it. I really love that game. It is It is a fantastic game. I will give you that. I can't talk shit about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see about your number one. Uh, Zach, your number two game of, or wait, no, you're number two, one. So you're number yeah. one. Oh, number geez. one. Number one. <laughs> it's, uh. Number one. It's, uh, runner two. Future <laughs> Legend of Rhythm Alien. Fantastic. Tell me about this game, Zach. Well, it's it's a game where you're running forward uh, and you can't stop. Um, no, it's just, I mean, the, the reason it's my number one, and it just happened recently, is, I mean, we talked about it last week or the week before. It was my number one game of the last year for Wii U. Oh, yeah, the Wii U, yeah. Um, but what really cemented as my game of the year was I got it on Vita because I had Vita Bucks from Christmas, and I was like, eh, I have a temporary, you know, membership to PlayStation Plus, and this is like $7. I'll get it. And then I just kept playing it. I couldn't stop. and Like I didn't. Like I ended up going back. I was getting some Triple Perfects, man. Yeah, like, I got some Triple Perfects. That, that was amazing. And I think, honestly, I think I like it more on beta because it's portable it's portable and if you have headphones good headphones in it sounds phenomenal yeah like it sounded good on the tv but when it's right in your ears with the stereo sound it's unbelievable and the, and that game's music is second to none this year i will say with that game like to your point about it being kind of better on a portable with that game that's the the only game where i chose to play it on the gamepad when I had the option to play on the oh, TV. Oh, really? Only See, I've ever done that. I couldn't play it on the gamepad. I don't know why. It just bugged me, and uh, I had to play it on the TV. I remember, because I was reviewing it, I would uh, kind of just check with the latency. I would go between back and forth in, in levels, and that would really fuck with me. But, it, I mean, I didn't notice a big difference. There is a little bit of latency. 
between the gamepad and the TV, but it's not that bad. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like that. the quality of the video is is a whole lot better on the Vita. I just don't know why I I couldn't play it on the on the gamepad. Yeah. Who knows? It is just personal preference. It's, it's maybe the only game besides Darksiders two that I can't stand playing on the gamepad. Huh? It's just those games are not similar at all. No, I know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Runner Two is is unbelievably good. It's so fucking good, and it's like randomly on sale on like many different stores. So if you haven't played it yet, you really should. Whether you find it on Steam or the, it's been on been on sale a few times on the eShop. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and and I almost bought the soundtrack, but I think I said this before. Uh, without all the bells and whistles sound effects, it's not the same oh, at yeah. all. Yeah. Right, when you're hitting your jumps and your ducks and all that yep. stuff, yeah. Hitting the I mean, that's why it works. It's not the music by itself. It's the harmony. Yeah, exactly. And every stage might have, in a world, might have the same uh, background music, but, you know, the the rhythm of the stage is different, and it, every every stage sounds different. It's so great. That's all I'll say about it. Go go buy Reddit 2, no matter how you got to do it. <laughs> Except <laughs> iOS. I can't imagine how that game would work on iOS. So, Alex, your number one game, which hopefully isn't Runner 2. It is not. Okay. My <laughs> Nintendo game of the year is Animal Crossing New Leaf on oh, the DS. Oh, of course. Duh. Oh. <laughs> I witnessed this shit firsthand. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, this story is six months long. It, it's, I'll tell it in the short two-minute version, but the story hey. started six months ago. You know, Alex, we have time. If you want to hit me with the six-month version, go ahead. <laughs> Zach and I both don't have jobs, Alex. Take your time. <laughs> so this this started at E3 when it was the first day I got there, and I really wanted a physical copy of Animal Crossing New Leaf. So to do that, uh, meaning I had to sacrifice playing it on the plane at all. Yeah, I played it on the plane. It was awesome. I had yes. to literally sprint to the target a mile away to get one of the last physical copies of Animal Crossing. And that game was my game of E3 because it was the one that that kept my cool. It was the one that gave me, okay, this shit's getting to be too much. I need to just relax in my town for a while. And I love this game because not only is it so relaxing, not only did it bring the addiction back. I mean, I dropped 100 hours into this game and it's not even that impressive. But <laughs> it does everything a good sequel does because I'm going to be saying this for every single game in this category, but it does what Nintendo does best because it allows the game to maintain its identity like Wind Waker, like Pikmin 3, while adding even more to it. It makes the clothing options way expanded and you can put way more clothes on the guy. It allows you to be the mayor, which in my opinion changes the game a lot. It makes the game feel like the first big sequel uh, the series has had since Wild World in, like, 2004. Alex, can and you get all style-savvy up in that? And Maybe not that much, but <laughs> way more. Way, it's way more impressive than the GameCube Animal Crossing, when all you could do is one shirt pattern that yeah. acts as both your shirt and your horn cap. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. you can have the accessories, you can have the hats, you can have the masks, you can have socks, shoes, uh, pants, all that. It is awesome. Like I it, remember discussing with you at E3 about how you're like, look at how pimp my mayor looks. I dropped. And I was like, mine has a Samus mask. 
I, do I win? <laughs> I was an active contributor at E3, but by the time that week was over, I had already dropped like 15 hours into it. It would be oh like you'd be God. like sitting waiting for an appointment, and you'd be like, ah, I'm going to go uh, go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> the game is pretty brilliant, in my opinion. <laughs> it really, I mean... It wasn't. It didn't. It did not make my top three. Uh, didn't even make my top five. But Animal <laughs> Crossing New Leaf is the first game in the series that I actually put a lot of time into because I would always get really into Animal Crossing for like three days, and then you know like it happened with the Wii version and the GameCube version, where I played for a little bit and then just stopped. And it's not that I didn't enjoy it; it's just that it didn't hold me. Um, I wound up playing Animal Crossing New Leaf, I think, every day for a month and a half. Holy crap. And then I took, like, a two-week break and then got really into it for another two weeks. And you know what? At some point in the future, I'm probably really going to get into it for another two, three weeks, maybe even longer. Um, That's the great thing about having it, you know, on your 3DS at all times is that you can just go back to it whenever you want. Well, what makes what makes it fantastic too is you sort of have this refinement by Nintendo with the game where where it's really fantastic and and it is addictive and I I do think it's the best in the series easily but it's also on hardware that easily allows for wireless communication whether locally or online and we have things like Twitter and YoGaf where it's so easy to communicate with people and find people to, to you know yeah. towns to visit and stuff it's Beautiful this perfect thing, like seeing this, Twitter around Animal Crossing well. exactly it's this perfect like convalescence of, of was all it, of this was it all beautiful this stuff Neil or did it get really old really fast turnips well, i got turnips turnips i mean it was beautiful for like two three weeks and then i didn't pay attention as much <laughs> yeah if you didn't play it it, it maybe wasn't beautiful yeah. but you loved having a friend on your uh your twitter uh or have a t- having a twitter twitter follower who had yeah. amazing turnip prices and you could go cash that shit in <laughs> so although yeah. the turnip market wasn't as lucrative as it was in past games and just uh, one last thing I want to bring up. Something we're bringing up about pretty much every single game that has been on any of our list. But what a damn good looking game. Like, oh, no, all of the character models look like it must, puppets, basically. It must look like, better you can see, in like, motion. Felt on their body. It, yeah, it looks great. Like, even on the XL, it doesn't look yeah. that super jaggy like some games like uh, Donkey Kong Country 3D look. Like, it actually takes uh. the hardware. And makes it look, I I bet it even looks better on the XL than it does on the regular 3DS. Because it it, just makes the game look it was definitely one of those games that might have been made with the XL in mind more, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But how about that Animal Crossing game on Wii U that will happen eventually? I mean, Animal Crossing Plaza, say what you will about the pointlessness of Animal Crossing Plaza. That shit looks hot. I hope they don't city folk it. Like, city folk is a great game, but it was just a remake of Wild World. Oh, yeah. I just added a city and folk. Boo. Uh, so let's move on to my number one game, which is Fire Emblem Awakening. There you go. I knew it. Woo. And, and also, I can't shit on this game. It's fucking awesome. That's pretty oh, great. So good. I will never play it, but you go ahead. Why won't you ever play <laughs> because it? Because it's a strategy RPG. Zach, but it's like the best strategy RPG ever. I know, but it's really it's accessible. Yeah, yeah I understand. I mean, just turn off having your characters permanently die, and then just enjoy all the cute girls that are in the game, and you'll love it. <laughs> Dude, you get to marry them and make babies. It's awesome. True. And your babies time travel so they can join yeah. your party. Yeah, that, I mean, Spoilers, that's the best part. Like, when I heard that, I was already on board with the game, but when I heard it, it's just like, yeah, and then people get married, and then, like, their kids come and fight with you. I'm like, but that doesn't make any fucking sense. That's incredible. <laughs> yep. Is it still the same swords beats... 
uh, stabs yeah, yeah, piece. The same, the yeah. rock paper scissors kind of. Thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's just so much more refined, and it's it's just such an excellent game. I mean, I've been a fan of Fire Emblem for a long time. I played the GBA GBA games. I played the GameCube game, the Wii game. Um, but this is like this is perfect. I mean, as as it's also kind of like a, like a greatest hits too with all the DLC. Oh yeah, for sure. Like if you're a longtime Fire Emblem fan, there's a lot of fan service here um, in the DLC. But even if not, the, the game is just so refined. And for a series that I think has scared a lot of people off because of its permadeath uh, with characters and stuff and seeming so hardcore, um, this one is so welcoming. It lets you customize that experience, you know, to to your liking. Um, whether it's through different difficulty options or turning off the permadeath, um, being able to save mid-battle if you choose to, like different things like that, so you can correct mistakes you make. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of like nice touches to make the game exactly what you want it to be. So if you just want to enjoy the story and not focus so much on like hardcore grinding and uh, and like mastering, you know, the uh, the rock paper scissors, uh, scissors system, then that that option is there. Um, it has just, it has a, a pretty good story, a lot of production value, some great cutscenes and stuff that look actually pretty, pretty damn good in 3D. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, it's a just, fun story too. Yeah. Does it have Marth? Sort of. It has, it has a character named Marth, yeah. Does it have Roy? No. Oh. No one well, cares may, about Roy. Maybe in the DLC. Roy oh, was yeah, cool. No, no, Roy's totally in the DLC. Oh, okay. So you can get Roy, yeah. Um... But, I mean, this is one of those games that uh, usually I'll talk about after I beat a game about how, like, man, I, I just want to replay this right now. Um, with Fireball Awakening, I literally started over again uh, on, on the harder difficulty setting and then, like, plowed through the first five missions and loved the shit out of it. But yeah. then I got hung up on trying to get Donald in my party, and I realized, I'm like, no, nah, I need to, need to <laughs> level up my team a little bit before I can get Donald on board. Yeah. Um, and what's great is, is sort of the outside stuff. I mean, Fire Emblem games in the past to me, it was like, okay, skip past all the awful dialogue yeah. and just get from battle to battle. But Thanks there's a lot to do out, outside of, of battles in this game, like developing your relationships uh, to A, get married and have kids, and also to increase the uh, sort of battle capabilities of your characters in battle. So if you have characters that are familiar with each other and are like uh, have a better ranked relationship, then they can attack and protect each other on the battlefield, uh, absorbing damage and doing extra damage to enemies and stuff. So there's sort of a reason to want to um, have these characters develop better relationships. And the relationship scenes are, are generally pretty funny. Like, there's little, like, dialogue scenes between characters when the relationship levels up. And it's really well-written, and it's really humorous. Can you name your characters? You can name your avatar. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the thing too. Yeah, you create your own character when you start, okay. um, and have have a strength and a weakness, and kind of put his, uh, I don't know, choose his physical appearance and stuff. Or like her, that, so. or her, yeah, or her. All right, and Zach would probably make a lady. Yep, I would. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could just marry any of these uh, stud heartthrobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe a prince Carm is in your future. I don't know. Um, but yeah, just a great game. Just as we talked about a few of these different games that are. Uh, you know, uh, the next sequel in a series. It's just a, a complete refinement. Yeah. And, yeah, just fantastic. So, All right, so game. so my number one is The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. There it is. 3DS. There we go. Very so good. Pick it. Very, very yeah. good. Well, I just, I didn't, I was very excited for this game. Um, I love the demo that I played at E3 and was really anxious to play it. And when I played it, it was better than I possibly could have expected. Um, I'll definitely concede that 
Yeah, it's a little on the easier side because of the back half where you have all that, you know, you can explore wherever you want. It's not like one dungeon's really, really hard compared to the others. But that I, I actually like that. Yeah, I mean, it didn't bother me at all just because I loved exploring that world. I loved going to the different dungeons. I love the flow of the dungeons now, now that they've removed items from being found in there, is that it is kind of like, you know, you go into the dungeon, you go in whatever order you, you want to. You get the hook shot, you win. It's not that anymore. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I love the, the level design as far as the dungeons go. I loved exploring the world. I love the characters. I like the item mechanic a whole lot. I like upgrading my items. Um, I actually like the graphics, um, and the music, the music is fantastic. Um, I just, from top to bottom, I, I really love this game. My only problem with the game is, uh, well, let's put it this way. My problems with the game stem from the fact that it got along in development as being a link to the past see, uh, remake, and then somewhere along the line they switched gears and said, "Well, let's make this a new game." There's so much link to the past left over, uh, even the bosses in the uh, Loralu dungeons. That, I mean, it it really kind of is a remake to Link to the Past in That's a lot of ways. That's the one thing that I remember talking with people about it around E3 or around when it was announced, and everyone was worried that it was just going to be like a Link to the Past map. And in my mind, I was like, okay, so maybe like the the main the overworld, the light world, which we know is Hyrule, maybe that will be exactly the same, but then they'll have, like, the dark world, low rule, that'll be completely different. No, it's just the fucking dark world from, like, to the past. And, like, <laughs> I don't really, it doesn't really kill my enjoyment of the game, but it is kind of a bummer that it's, like, all the dungeons are in the same fucking spot. Um, you know, it, it feels like, it, I mean, it's a, it's a hell of a sequel slash remake, whatever you want to call it, but it feels... It feels more like a remake than I kind of hoped right. it would. It's still very good. I, I yeah, really enjoyed it. Link to the Past it. is also a fucking fantastic game. Yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, I would kill for a game that just took the maps from Super Metroid and made a new game out of it. Oh, yeah, right. Um, oh, gosh. And this is the same kind of thing. And it worked. It worked really well. And I love that the painting mechanic. I always feel like yeah, it is good. Uh, it is it gets overlooked. Because everyone focuses on how similar to Link to the Past it is. And you realize that the painting mechanic kind of, you know, makes you look at everything in a different way. It gives this added verticality and gives you that depth to, to the environments. Makes you think in a different way. And that's that's why I like the puzzles in it. I like those puzzle rooms that really yeah. utilize it well. Yep. And the 3D yeah. looks beautiful, too. Oh, yeah. It does. I'm super excited for this game. I got it for Christmas and haven't haven't played it yet because I'm trying to beat Persona 4 first. Uh, but it's it's the next game I'm going to immediately play, so... Yeah, I mean, Persona 4, well, I fucking started Ease Oath and Felgana instead of Persona 4. I'm <laughs> you done. monster. Play I'm Persona, done. you jerk. <laughs> Ease is really good, though. Yeah, that's probably fair. What were you going to say, Alex? I think, so I remember, Scott, I think it was us who talked about uh, Pokemon, and we were talking about the future of Nintendo taking advantage of the 3D on their platform. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And we were, I think you might have made the point, or maybe we both did, that it seemed like Nintendo was shying away from 3D, especially with Pokemon, and maybe they're just going to make it optional. Maybe that's still true because of how soon this game came out after that discussion, but I think for the first time since Super Mario 3D Land, this game is better because of 3D. Yeah. Much better. We just mentioned was pretty awesome because of the 3D, too. 
Yeah, not, it's, not, maybe not to the same degree, but it's still it was a it, game that was made better. By all the three of those games take great advantage of the depth of the 3DS, and I just hope more games do that in the future. Yeah, I'll have to say, I, I never usually turn 3D on when I play games, but with the way you guys are talking, yeah, I'm able to flip it on and, and see what I think. I, I played it on, I played Link Between Worlds mostly on the 2DS, and I didn't really care about the difference. But but on my XL, it does look great. Oh, okay. Hmm. Let's give it a shot. Um, So that's it for Nintendo games, and now it's time to move on to our top game on another platform. Our non-Tendo games. Our top non-Tendo game, exactly. So, Mr. Zach Miller, your top non-Tendo game of 2013. Okay, I'm going to let you guys guess. It's a Vita game, but also a PS3 game. Dragon's Crown. Yep. (laughs) Oh, of course it is. Neil got it. (laughs) Naturally. Not just because of Sorceress, although that's a big part of it. Two big parts of it. Um, (laughs) It's also because that is an unbelievably fun online multiplayer game. Holy crap. Um, Have you you been playing it with, like, people from the forums and stuff? I've been playing it with people from Twitter. Um, Oh, okay. But, yes, the forums. Same difference. Yeah. Um, Really fun. Like, get a good connection. The Vita's a little iffier with connection issues than the PS3, but, like, the whole time I was in Maui, I played that game online with some friends, and we, like, (laughs) burned through it, and it was super fun. And I got a potion that let me um, re- uh, redo all my skill points for Sorceress, and now she is a total badass. There are no wasted skill points. It's just so good. I'm not picturing you being in Hawaii and just sitting in a room playing this online. Yes. No, it was on the lanai overlooking oh, okay. the ocean. So, fuck all you, right. man. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly better. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just a really fun game on, on PS3 or Vita, and if you have it on both, you can transfer your save and... Um, and there's more depth. I mean, it's it's a loot-based game, but there's a lot of there's an unusual amount of depth to how that loot is given out. And you know, you can go on multiple dungeon runs in a row, and you have multiple equipment uh, loadouts that you can switch between between dungeons. And there's a lot of strategy involved for every character. So it's really it's a meaty game, and it's producing some really wonderful figures that I'm going to have to buy. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so, Alex, I think we all know what yours is, but why don't you go ahead well, and announce it? It's Before we do that, I have a few runners-up that I'm just going to list quickly and maybe say a sentence about why I think it's awesome. Runner 2 on Vita. Well, we had our <laughs> Runner 2 recommendations, but just speed runners-up. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, it has a fantastic combat system and one of the finest final boss sequences I have ever seen in a game. Saints Row 4 takes the fun of Saints Row 3 as a touch of Crackdown and makes it really fun. Uh, There's a couple Nintendo games in here, I think this is the only one, but Shin Megami Tensei 4 makes a really accessible JRPG but adds the darkness and a touch of the difficulty that makes hardcore JRPGs so good. So, and then, next one's The Last of Us. See every other site's Game of the Year list. Boo! Uh, Tearaway, it is basically, in a sentence, the Vita's answer to Kid Icarus Uprising. Uh, Except it's good. (laughs) 
Oh yeah. You know what? <laughs> this out. is this is a positive Get podcast. I can, eh? I'm hosting the call. I can figure it out. <laughs> and then my number three game behind Animal Crossing and the game I'm about to talk about, Earth Defense Force 2017 Portable on the Vita. It is such a pure fucking video game experience. Basically, you get weapons, you kill monsters, you use the weapons that you gained off of the monsters you killed to get stronger weapons and kill stronger monsters. It's just so <laughs> pure, so fun, and has a brilliant co-op. My game of the year, the best game, undoubtedly, I have played this year, and perhaps any other year, is a small independent game uh, <laughs> made by the startup studio... Uh, you might have heard of them, Rockstar North. The best game I have played this year, without a doubt, Grand Theft Auto V. Really? And I am going to tell you exactly why, <laughs> in a potentially slightly boring explanation that will hopefully only take <laughs> a couple minutes, why I think this game is so amazing. First off, GTA V takes what 4 did. And not only makes it better, but it brings it to modern standards. Mechanically, the cover system, the shooting, the melee, the driving, and the mission structure feels tighter and more polished while still maintaining the personality and identity I love from GTA 4. So if you hate the driving, it still feels like the driving, but it feels better too, so hopefully you can enjoy it. Uh, as for the city, it takes the realistic cityscape that was a bit dreary in GTA 4, and it expands it to include a countryside, towns, underwater in the oceans, and it makes the world feel more organic, and this is partially through new vehicle types like planes and submarines, and also pedestrians that are even more crazy realistic than they were in GTA 4. Like, once I was playing as Michael, I went into a hair salon, and people were actually holding up the hair salon as I was entering it. Nice. It takes these crazy random events that were in Red Dead Redemption and makes them even crazier, and it just spreads them organically across the world. Like, everything feels like it runs on real time. Like, uh, let's say I shave my head as Michael. Over time, his hair will slowly but surely grow back. Nice. <laughs> Uh, but more importantly, to talk about the single player a bit more, the three-player mechanic introduced through Trevor, Franklin, and Michael creates a game that comes across as always fresh, always changing, and the three characters are like nothing else in the series. Franklin's the hoodlum-type character, who seems a bit like CJ-esque from San Andreas at the start, but he's a lot smarter. He is a very intelligent gangbanger, and he wants more. He wants better money. Trevor, who is, without a doubt, my favorite character of the year, <laughs> is a crazy, meth-dealing, unapologetic, uh, psychopathic monster who has a skewed but extremely consistent uh, moral compass. And quick spoiler alert, he has another extremely crazy moment where he actually manages to, again, spoiler alert, murders the protagonist of a previous GTA game. Nice! <laughs> Uh, and he's just, he's so fucking funny. And then Michael, uh, this might sound a little weird, but he is the first middle-aged white male GTA protagonist who, and he feels exactly like a middle-aged white male with a family. <laughs> now, this might sound like, oh, it's just three different perspectives, whatever. But what this does for the mission types is that you might have one mission in Hick County with Trevor where he is shooting up a biker gang, 
and he is dealing meth and flying biplanes throughout the country. And then you might switch to uh, Franklin, who might have a more San Andreas-type mission in the hood. And then you switch to Michael, who has who's dealing with like the one percenters in the Beverly Hills equivalent. And I think the mission types are... Does he, does he break uh, into Paris Hilton's house and steal her shit? There are moments in that game that are almost exactly like that. Nice. And there are Paris Hilton equivalents. They, like, one of the things about Rockstar, even if you don't like their writing, I think their writing is personally unfucking matched uh, They account for everything. What, what they do with their games is they put so much detail that even though it was made with $265 million or something crazy like that... It feels like it was made with a core vision, and it feels like it was made with the heart, the sweat, the blood, the elbow grease of actual people who wanted to make a real piece of art. And without a doubt, not only is it the best game I have played this year, it is probably maybe one of the best games i played this generation. Hmm. Hell of a game. But I'm well, going to be go. very reductive here. Do you still get points for killing hookers? Like... I guess you get, like, 80 bucks. <laughs> that's worth nothing in the grand scheme of things Man, I, when, I'm, by the I'm, end of the heist, you are earning, like, a million dollars or more. <laughs> so hookers aren't even worth your time anymore. No, no, no. Like, you try it once as a novelty, and then you're like, ah, this is stupid now, and then <laughs> you shoot rocket launchers at pedestrians. <laughs> that's how you get your uh, your kicks. Yeah. Pretty good. If they ever release this on PS4, I will probably try it. And I, I will buy it more. again. And, yeah, I just, I don't know. I've never got hooked on the series the way people, other people have. But the, I'm excited to, to try 5 if I ever get the chance. Also, if you want to hear me talk about this for 50 more minutes, Danny Bivens and I uh, talked about this game oh, yeah. at length on connectivity right. like a month or two ago. Sorry right. to interrupt, Neil. I remember no, no. that. Um, so yeah, so check that out if you haven't, yeah. Uh, so for me, my Nintendo game of the year, I'm torn between two PC games, but I, I think where I'm going to go, um, first of all, I should say that my, my PS3 broke, uh, right the day oh, like, the, yeah. Wii, the, the Wii U came out. Um, and I don't really, I have an Xbox 360, but I don't play it because I don't like to pay for Xbox Live, even though now I pay for PS Plus, but I think it's a better value anyway, but... Yeah, but but either way, so I haven't had much access to Nintendo games unless they came out on PC as well as, you know, PS3 or 360. So I played things like Bioshock Infinite, but Bioshock Infinite is really terrible. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I was really going to say, bad. one of my favorite Nintendo things was the first hour of Bioshock yeah, Infinite. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. God, that, that game is so disappointing. Um, Barrel at anyway, was okay, though. Yeah, I hear that's actually better. Yeah, but I haven't, I haven't checked that out myself. Um, so... My game of the year is actually a game that Alex and I have talked about a little bit on Twitter in direct messages, if I'm not mistaken. But um, Gone Home. Oh I yeah, play that so bad. <laughs> it's so good. You really should. I. It, what's hard is there's not really much I can say about it here without like sp spoiling it. Yeah, I know. Isn't every um, five minutes a spoiler? You can't even describe why you're home or what you're doing. Exactly. Like without taking taking away from it. Um. So, yeah, I, I, there's not much I can say except that it's just the atmosphere it builds is, is fantastic. I mean, it's, what, maybe a two- to three-hour-long game. That's it. But that entire time when you're in this house, like, it just feels like such a real place. And it, it builds this great sense of, like, dread and emotion 
um, as you're exploring this house and, and discovering kind of what's going on and putting the pieces together. And it's just so fantastic in doing that. It's in, in such a short amount of time, it builds this fantastic place in a real world. Um, unlike kind of anything I've had in, in another video game. Um, it's, it's like just, the, it's the really opposite fantastic. of Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bioshock Infinite built a really cool world and then like only let you, only let you, yeah, and only let you in, interact with it by shooting people in the face. So <laughs> it kind of wasn't very fun. Um, in this, you can put cassette tapes and cassette players and listen to them. Oh, really? Um, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, you can find you'll find like yeah, like music tape to. I do love hearing the the one thing about how there's a bunch of episodes of the the X Files on VHS tapes. Well, yeah, that's something that and and apparently that they they check to see if all of those episodes would fit on a VHS tape. Ah. They like put like oh yeah, like they did the math or something. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I mean that's something that can kind of be talked about without spoiling it. The game is set in the uh, like the mid '90s. So yeah, you've got like the the den with like the dad's VHS collection with a bunch of shit taped off the TV. So yeah, it's like black tapes with white labels on them of yeah, like X Files and like movies taped from TV. Um, the your character that you're playing, her little sister in her room, has uh, Street Fighter Two combos written down like on a on a note card uh, like, on her desk because she's a big Street Fighter Two fan. So she's got like all Chun Li's moves written down on a note card. Um, there's just like a lot of like little stuff like nods to to that era. Um, yeah, and it's just really good. The, the, the dad character, he, uh, he tests, like, electronics, so he's in the midst of, uh, like, the middle of testing out a laser disc player, um, <laughs> and, like, writing a review for it in a magazine. Huh. So there's, like, there's, there's just, like, a lot of little stuff like that that kind of builds that, that time and place. And if you're old enough to remember the 90s, which I, most God, of us are, I Alex, I, you, 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 you'd, you'd be the, you'd be the youngest. I mean, you, you remember, but not, I, I mean, remember the, the, the late about, 90s. Like exactly. the TV shows I was seeing was reruns from earlier in the nineties. Exactly. There you go. I'll be there for you. <laughs> so like the, the the main characters are these two teenagers during this time. So if you were a teenager or at least a, close to it during the mid to late nineties, like I think it hits home a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a fantastic game. And Zach, if you are interested in playing it, you absolutely should track okay. it down. And, Is there and any it. chance it'll be on PSN or something? I don't think so. Shoot. Not, not, I know, I I know my PC won't run that game. Really? It's not that, I don't know. It's not that yeah. demanding of a game. I mean, okay. You just walk around a house. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just static stuff. I'll try <laughs> it. I'll, adjust... I'll try to get it. I'll see if my computer will run it. I really so, want to play uh, it. So Scott and I had disagreements, I'll admit, on the story. Uh, he was pretty pro on the story. I had my criticisms, as I often do about video games. Oh, really? I didn't know. <laughs> But the uh, I think it's good that the story was interesting and different enough that there was something to even agree and disagree about. It wasn't it wasn't apathy. My reaction was not apathy to the story, which is the mm-hmm. worst thing you can say about a video game. Right, like what oh, I the can, story was there. What I can praise this game beyond high heavens for is how it builds the house that you explore in. Yeah, the house feels like a real house. It feels like. Maybe a more interesting version, and maybe it's definitely built around the plot, but everything has so much detail in it. Like, if you might you might open a drawer, and you might see a pencil, that pencil will have no relevance to the plot, but it will be fully detailed with its own fake brand, and it'll look like a real pencil, even on low PC settings. Uh, the writing in the game isn't some fake typed into Microsoft Word handwriting. It's actual handwriting on the notes that was probably scanned into a computer and then put into the game. The house 
feels alive. It feels almost like the real main character of the game. And it is something I've wanted to see in games for a long time. And even if I might have ended up a little on the lower end, uh, whelm-wise, for how I felt about this game, I am still extremely, extremely impressed by how they built their small world. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's fantastic. So, Zach, definitely check it out. Um, Neil, how um, about you? My Nintendo game of the year is uh, is Tearaway. Okay, before you say anything else, Neil. Yeah? Didn't you feel like that game takes you out of the experience every five minutes? No. No? Because I got that not, feeling not so much. Dude's definitely a little talky. There's no, not even the, like... not even the people. Just like, oh, take a picture of this, take a picture of that, do this thing with but your I thumb. I make yeah, stuff. Like make a crown. I made I made snow. That was the Green Bay Packer logo. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what kind of joy I got out of that. And it was kind of that thing where it's like when they asked for a crown and I made a crown, and then I was like, okay, that was okay. And then I realized the next thing I'm like, I don't actually need to make what they're telling me to make, I can just sure. make whatever the fuck I want, yeah. and it'll just be used for that purpose. And that's when I started having more fun with that game, and I think that's kind of the point, is just to have fun with it. And it was just it was just something that hit me in the right spot when I was playing it. I didn't think any of the the touch stuff was annoying. I, I liked the whole thing with me being the sun in the background every now and then. Um, that was, that was cool, yeah. Um, and I just, I mean, I, it's so fucking charming. I can't, I can't handle it. And it was just a really, it was just a fun game to play through. Uh, the world's really nice. It's kind of like everything I wished Little Big Planet could have been because Little Big Planet never clicked with me, but this clicked with me in a big bad way. You could definitely tell it's from the same people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I did like it. I I played that in Maui too. I I um, and uh, I I actually really like the platforming. The overall game is great. I just really did feel like. There was way too much Vita stuff, like, you know. I mean, so, it really, uh, I mean, it just honestly didn't bother me at all. I really liked it. Uh, I, I think I've gotten to the point where I don't hate the back touch on the Vita anymore. No, it's good for that game. That That's true. Yeah. And it's really clear. Like, they just do a really lot of good context clues. Because there will be times where I'll be like, what the fuck do I do? I'm like, oh, it's the little thing that's on the background of the Vita. Yeah. So that means I need to poke through it. Like, I just, I love that stuff like that. The combat. Combat was a little lame. I'll give it that. It never bothered me that much, personally. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, like, it didn't really detract, but... It, it, it felt kind of unnecessary. talk about what's good about the game, the combat is way low on the list. Yeah. I think it was interesting when Zach said that, like, the game's taking you out every five minutes. And I'm not going to call you wrong, because that is a totally valid opinion. Oh. Uh, I, I think the people but you're who... Wrong. The, okay. No, because the people who really love this game, I think they have they have to be into this type of game where you get as much out of it as you put in. I'm definitely. Uh, sure. And because of that, because I used every creative opportunity they gave me to take a picture of my GTA Five poster when I needed to make the skin of an elk. Really? Get out. <laughs> and I spent <laughs> minutes on that uh, crafting table with the construction paper yeah, I, I, to make I, I, my perfect it's snowflake. It's so simple, but it's so much fun. I needed a stylus. My finger was just too fat and got in the way. <laughs> I just, I felt like, I didn't feel like I was being taken out of the game. I honestly felt like me, Alex, was a, uh, I was an actual character participating. Yeah, and I mean, game. that's the whole fucking point of the game, and I think they did it perfectly. Yeah. 
Um, so I got I got two other quick runners up. Um, Hotline Miami is dope as shit. Oh yeah. Um, that game's just, it's insane. Uh, it's just like rock solid game mechanics with the most ridiculous and fucked up backdrop ever, <laughs> um, and really really awesome music and animal masks that you wear that give you power ups. That's right. Um, and then my last one's Dive Kick because Dive Kick's the shit and everyone should fucking play Dive Kick. Get some buddies <laughs> over, drink some so beers weird. or drink whatever Zach can drink, and, and just play some fucking goddamn Dive Kick. It's so great. Um, I like I have so much fun with that game and because of how simple it is to get into you can get virtually anyone to play it but there's so much more behind it than just like oh just one button's dive one button's kick like <laughs> every character is different there's fucking power-ups like there's one character like he just he can't actually hurt you by kicking you he just leaves a fucking lightning bolt behind him everybody there's, another, there's like a fucking everybody jumps bat. and kicks differently there is a bat in a straitjacket that's fucking crazy. Um, that there's, I just, I love that game. It's so good. I like it just because it's so ridiculous. Yeah, and you can play two people on one Vita, so that's pretty. Oh, cool. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, there can't I, be can't be too times. many button inputs. Yeah, <laughs> just the only you only need four. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I mean, I I will. I will forever rem- remember with that game uh, at E3 last year. It, it was it was in the Sony booth, but it was like literally right across uh, from the Nintendo booth, and I didn't notice it until like the I think it might have been the last day. Um, and I found it, and then I just put out like we were on a, a group messaging thing, and I put out a message being like, "Met dive kick over by the Sony booth near Nintendo. Who wants to fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> it's got a people, it's a couple of people coming over like, "I don't know what dive kick is." I'm like, "Well, you're about to find out." Um, it's so good. I, it, it, it is a it is a joke that I'm not fully aware of because I, I'm not a member of the fighting game community, but it is a joke that I wholeheartedly approve because it's actually <laughs> a good ass game. Mm-hmm. Sam, so, yeah, well, there you go. All right, so that will do it. So uh, thank you everyone for being here, uh, and uh, you out there, the listener. Uh, be sure to comment and tell us your top three games and your top n- non-Tendo game as well. Yeah. Definitely want to hear Play that. Play along at home. Yeah. So um, that will do it. Thanks, Dragon's guys. Crown, yo. There you go. Or some Mario. dive kick with Neil. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. All right. And that will do it for this week's episode of Connectivity. As always, you can send your listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't done so so far. And you should follow all of us on Twitter. Go to nintendoworldreport.com and look for the Twitter sidebar on the right-hand side of the page, and you'll find all of our usernames there. And now, if you're interested, please stick around for a bonus segment all about the Doctor Who Christmas special. We'll see you next week.
times change, and so must I. <laughs> Amelia. Who's Amelia? The first face this face saw. Think about it. We are all different people all through our lives. And that's okay. That's good. You've got to keep moving so long as you remember all the people that you used to be. I will not forget one line of this. Not one day. I swear. I will always remember when the doctor was me. Hello everyone, it's that time again for another Doctor Who bonus segment on connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson, and as has lately, and probably for a while now, will, will be the case, it is uh, Nicholas Bray and Amanda Albert joining me. Hello. Hi Scott. I see that, I see that you're, uh, you're using your holographic clothes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yes. Just for you. Thank you. No one else can We're see We're not them. in a church though, so that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the Church of Connectivity. There you go. Man, you might have just given me the title for this week's episode. I, we'll see if anything better comes up, but Church of Connectivity sounds pretty damn good. Uh, so, yeah, we're here to discuss the Time of the Doctor, the Christmas special that just aired on Christmas Day last week, uh, and what also happened to be Matt Smith's final episode of Doctor Who to the 100th anniversary. Because um, I think by then he'll only be, it's uh, 50 years from now, so he'll be, what, like 62 then? He's pretty young. However old I am, that's how old he'll be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're going to talk all about the episode, uh, sort of the response it's gotten, because it's been a little all over the place, and I guess look a little bit to the future, and uh, since this will be the last one of these we do for about eight months, I think. Well, unless, I guess, a bunch of rivers come out or we decide to talk old Doctor Who, but... We're going to uh, we're gonna make you watch some classic Who. Yeah, did, uh, make me. <laughs> did you ever watch that, uh, The Enemy of the World? That was your last assignment. Uh, no, I get an F on How this. dare you. <laughs> But I'll watch it before the next I watched it again! Did you? <laughs> I have no kids, though. Yeah, you've got, so yeah, all you've got is time. <laughs> like the doctor. Uh, so, I guess let's, let's jump right into it. Uh, I just, just overall, how, how do you guys feel about the episode in terms of just being an episode and also in terms of being a Christmas episode? Because those are a little special for Doctor Who. Underwhelmed. Mm, I liked it, actually. That's kind of where I thought. That's that's where I thought you guys would be. I, I enjoyed it too. Um, Amanda, what what had you underwhelmed? I loved the last ten minutes of it. It's just everything up until that uh, felt frustrating. Oh, frustrating! Why? Just because there was so much going on, or I just the the simplest way I can put it is is that it's my least favorite of all the Christmas specials. And really? Just yeah, and <laughs> even just most... even less than um that other one, the Narnia one. That's probably my favorite. <laughs> really? What? Wow! What? Yeah, see, I'm the complete opposite. I, that Narnia one's for Love sure it. my least favorite with the talking trees. Okay. Anyway, what yeah, was your point? Sorry. All the all the the things that I dislike about Moffat style of writing, it was like all of them in one episode and so that was irritating to me and one of my favorite villains was effectively neutered 
So, and it wasn't like, I, I just felt like, yeah, there might, might have been reasons to back up why things happened, but I didn't think they were very clever or interesting reasons. Okay. What, what favorite villain of yours was neutered? The silence? Yeah. Yeah. There was, well, that was one thing silence. I was curious about. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That was one thing I was curious about. So the, the silence in their entirety are members of this church or just that, just a small group? I, I, I wasn't. Well, the Kovarian branch w- apparently was some, uh, random sect that breaks away from the normal church. And that's why okay. they behaved the way that they did. But really, okay. the rest of the church is there, I guess, to look out for the doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Nicholas, what did you what did you like about the episode? Mm, I I don't know. I like the the enormous amount of time that it spans. Uh, how he's really really old in the end, and like he lived uh, there for like what, maybe a thousand years or so. Like it's pretty like, close. Well, three hundred, <clears throat> and then I guess more when an he sends un- her away un- a second yeah, time. It's like an yeah. undisclosed amount because he still thinks it's the same kid but it's obviously he's decided, right and, and, yeah, yeah he's like no i'm I'm not him yeah, yeah. <laughs> can i ask yeah. you guys a question about it yeah he's like throughout the tenure of matt smith aged by hundreds of years do they yeah. explain at any point why now it physically starts to show he's i guess stopped moisturizing <laughs> that's yeah, that what harsh, really that, irritated that harsh, me that, that, that harsh cold wind on his face every day. <laughs> and I like him a lot playing an older version because, to me, Matt Smith is always kind of young and old at once. So it was cool to see him be almost like this Doc Brown-like personality. But I just didn't see at any point – I couldn't tell if I missed it or not if there was a reason that he was physically aging. Well, how much has he aged since he's been on the show? Because um, there, there's been a, a lot of talk- yeah, well, you th- that long, you think? Centuries? Um, well, well, Matt Smith went away at the start of season uh, seven, right? And, like, aged a few hundred years and then made mm-hmm. up with him. Is that what I'm remembering? Well, yeah. Tenet, when he be- regenerated from Tenet, he was, like, 900 and something. And yeah. then at some point in series seven, I remember him commenting that he was, like, 1,200 or 1,300 years old. So, I think 1,200 sounds right. Yeah, yeah, so about 300 years there. Um and then who knows how long, like, between the, the what, season seven and eight, I guess? Because he, he has a lot of kind of loner time then. In but, the 50th. Yeah, exactly. But you, you're right. I mean, it does seem kind of, I don't know, like, he, he didn't age uh, at all, <laughs> like, at all during that time. And then suddenly, 300 years later, he's, not, he's really showing it. And I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I just don't, it doesn't explain why. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed seeing him play it that as an older man. I actually thought um, the very the last time we see him when he's really really old, I felt that his performance uh, wasn't quite convincing enough. Like he, every now and then he would say a line that just didn't seem right. He still felt younger, if you get what I mean. Yeah, but I guess maybe you could say that was just kind of his personality because I, I still think they did enough to to illustrate his age, mm. like him thinking that they, that kid was the same kid from yeah, yeah, hundreds yeah. and hundreds of years ago because he he did seem kind of a little delusional. He he turned um, into Hartnell by the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that's the vibe I got. Um, which I guess is this. You guys would know more from the the older realms, but uh, is this like the first time we've really seen a doctor age like this and get that much older? Well, the first doctor didn't he technically regenerate because of old age? Like he said, it was wearing mm. a bit thin. Yeah, it's speculated he was already a few hundred years old or something. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I, I guess I mean I guess at some point they do hit a, a point where they really start to, to age, which is, I guess is how you could explain. Yeah, Hartnell being as old as he was when you first you first meet him, mm-hmm. um, but we've just never really seen it with any of the other doctors. So. But I, I didn't really mind it. I mean, I, I I can see how you can punch some holes in it, but it, it didn't bother me at all. Yeah. I thought it was I thought it was fine. And and what about the 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 best the best new companion in the series? Handles <laughs> Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, basically. Yeah, his, his Wilson. I, I felt that he was basically like a reference to K nine at times. He's just like affirmative. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I liked him. I liked cool. him a lot. I and he is now funny. the longest serving companion. <laughs> I guess that's true, yeah. Like some some time over three hundred years. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty good. God, it's freaking Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, handles is good. There's there's a lot of uh good humor in the uh in the episode throughout. And we got a lot of like uh sort of explanation and, and stuff people had already speculated about before, like the number of regenerations that had been used. Uh, I know there's been a lot of like writing before this episode about how they're going to explain things, uh considering he had basically used his uh, thirteen. Well, no, twelve regenerations already. Um, when you include David Tennant with with his cut off hand and everything like that. Oh, I put um, him in the notes here because I took notes when I rewatched it. He sure. says not just one new gener- regeneration. He says it's a whole new regeneration cycle. Do you guys yeah. think that means twelve more lives? Oh yeah, yeah. For sure. it's okay. a whole new cycle. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. It's not just one more. Yeah. Which I kind of wonder about that. Um. At the very end, you know, when we see Peter Capaldi for for roughly thirty seconds, um, you know, he he has that line about not knowing how to fly the the TARDIS, and I've kind of wondered if maybe that's something they that might build in the show that because it's a whole new cycle, will he not have his memories of what he's done in in the past regeneration? Mm. Like, is it basically mm. like a really whole new start for him? Will it be like the Eighth uh, Doctor where he constantly forgets everything? Exactly, where he's got like amnesia, or like, is it? Is that just a funny throwaway line? Because I could, I could really see it going. Either I way. um, mm-hmm. I have a feeling uh, it could go either way. I thought I took it as he uh, as well. He might just have erased everything, and it would be ironic because the last thing Matt Smith says is, "I will always remember this," you know. And yeah. And he's immediately forgot all of it, and um, right. I could see them giving him like a reboot, but it would basically be a blank slate for the next 50 years or whatever. But I don't know if he'll actually do it because a lot of people would complain about it probably. Oh, I think it would be interesting though that Mm. now the companion has to fill him in on who he is. Yeah, it would be more interesting for Capaldi to be very fresh, feel young because like, if the Doctor keeps going, he's just going to keep getting more and more like crazy with his memory and he would just start deteriorating you know just from having so much stuff in his head well and plus he he'd know like there's never a situation that arises at least for the most part where he doesn't understand or know what's going on or like he doesn't meet something he doesn't already know about you know some yeah. alien race mm-hmm. or some event so it would be interesting to see him not know everything right from the start and, and, and figuring things out and learning yeah as if he's this brand new uh mm-hmm. You know, man. See the thing. Do you know situation? how uh, he erased himself from the Daleks database at start of season Asylum of the Daleks or whatever? Um, yeah. I thought that's where they were maybe going with it, but then they made the Daleks remember everything about him in this episode. So, which was kind of disappointing. Yeah, yeah. I was bummed out by that too. Mm. If they both had the reset, it would have been like, yeah, blank slate. 
Yeah, what if they, I mean, yeah, if they both had to read set, like, what if there were situations where they found themselves, like, working together because they didn't know they were these, like, sworn ancient enemies? Like, stuff like that would have been yeah. interesting. Mm. Or it could be um, all the more bittersweet when they just reenact the same thing. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, no, they, they completely, yeah, just, just canceled out, um, everything that happened in the Silent of the Daleks, which, I, you know, is kind of too bad. I mean, I don't mind if they erase it after they do something with it, but they kind of just had that one episode, was, and then I was like, yeah. okay, there'll be another Dalek episode at some point that involves this, and it, it never happened. It would be, it seems pointless, like, he didn't, they didn't use that at all, they just... Yeah. Yeah. That's probably one of the few things that, that kind of irked me about the episode, because um, I, I overall enjoyed it as an episode, maybe not so much as a Christmas special, there really wasn't much of a Christmas tie-in, apart from the town was for whatever reason, called Christmas, and it snowed there every day. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there, it didn't, it didn't kind of have that, that Christmas feel that, that most of them have. Well, usually it seems like the tradition the last few years has been you take a common Christmas story and you incorporate it in some way. That way the right. casual viewer doesn't necessarily have to be familiar with the rest of the show's canon. But this, I don't know what the fuck the casual think watcher thinks walking oh, no. away. No casual person could turn this on and watch. I mean, this. I no watch way. it with Mike's parents, and they were perpetually confused. Oh, for sure. And um, even like when I was watching it the first time, it was going at such a frenetic pace at the start. I was missing details here and there. I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to watch this again. Unlike Dave the Doctor, where it seemed very straightforward to me, this one was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm missing bits and pieces here. I'm gonna have to see it again because they had an hour to cram all this stuff in. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's a good point. For as much as, like, the Day of the Doctor should have been complete, total fan service, and it was, and this episode should have maybe been a little bit more mainstream, they were kind of flip-flopped in their presentation, where 50 the Doctor, 50th, or, I'm sorry, the Day of the Doctor was, uh, not necessarily, like, it, the, it didn't have a lot going on, but it was presented in much, like, slower, careful fashion. Um, whereas, like you're saying, yeah, the first five minutes of this episode, if you're not paying attention, you can miss a lot of, a lot of details and a lot of stuff. Um, and it happens very quickly. Um, and then, and then it slows down and you've got a lot of time with the doctor on the planet, seemingly just stopping various bad guys as they try to infiltrate the planet. What'd you think um, of the crack returning? I liked that actually. Yeah, I didn't too. even think, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about them bringing that back to resolve, but I, I really enjoyed that. And that it tied into the day of the doctor that, yeah, that, uh, Gallifrey is out there somewhere and it's like trying to reach out to, to the doctor, uh, to come back is, is really interesting. And, that's cool because, like we talked about last time, that opens up the possibility for them to sometime explore a storyline where Gallifrey does return and the Time Lords return. Yeah, and I always liked that bit of the storyline from uh, Series 5 with the crack, so it was cool. It made it, at least that aspect of it, made it feel more like it was one cohesive thing from exactly. all the series. Right, it tied it all together. I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, so you got that, and then more of the TARDIS exploding and, and everything like that. We got explanation for how and why it exploded. And then that they, uh, that's what he saw when he opened his door yeah. in room 11. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like, that stuff was cool. So I, enjoy, I enjoyed I enjoyed all that. Like I said, I enjoyed it as an episode. I thought it did a good job of wrapping a lot of things up. We saw a lot of callbacks. You know, Amy Pond came back at the very end in a, a sweet little moment. <laughs> Amy. Yeah. And it was just so funny. He just starts dazing off Amelia and Clara's like, who? What? You're yeah, forgetting right? about me. Talk to me. He's <laughs> <laughs> look at the look on yeah. her face. It's like, oh, he's talking you know about it, some other girl. And you know what it hit me was that saying that she said that they're all ghosts to him. Like he's he really is constantly being haunted by the memories of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. He's always got um, ad- he's always got educate at the corner of his eye. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll never great? know if I was right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought that, I thought. To that point about like Amy Pond and, and even the uh, the main librarian lady who or church lady whose name I can't remember. Uh, Tasha Lim, she was cool. Which is uh, an anagram for lame hats. <laughs> Coincidence? Well, there you go. Yeah. Amanda has solved it. Um, <laughs> Actually, she um, at times she I've read, read this somewhere else, but I sort of agree with it now. Watching it again, it does feel like she might be some sort of River Song sort of River thing, Song. Right? Yeah. yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, okay, here's a dumb theory, but it's interesting that she knew how to fly the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even and some then of she her made lines. The, mm. the well, same vibe. The, the yeah. way they played off each other, mm. yeah. Like, it was very flirty and, and romantic, and yeah, I, I could easily see that. And then um, Mike's theory was uh, that we came up with was, what if the whole thing, this uh, whole church, what if this is something River put in place to protect him when she can't be around? Yeah. That makes sense. I, that feels like the kind of thing it does, especially now that we're moving on to another doctor. Like we'll never really, it'll Wrap never it really up. be elaborated on. I don't think. I mean, unless this church comes back in other storylines with Peter Capaldi, but what it do, seems like the kind of thing that's probably just mm, just done. What do you guys think about um, setting up like Clara's family or whatever? Like, do you think they're going to come back with Capaldi? I think they could end up being like more, you know, like a um, Rose family sort of situation here. I would like that. It makes it feel more real when their their personal life gets mixed up mm. in it. Though even back at the same housing estate. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, that's something you had with, with the Davis run is, like, all three uh, companions, they did have, like, rooted family lives on, on Earth, and, and it did add a bit of uh, drama and reason for them to be sort of torn between traveling with the Doctor and just staying home and taking care of things there. Um, so I think it's good to get back to that, especially since Clara now, the mystery of, like, how she always dies and go back is gone. Think, it's like, yeah, well, yeah. this character needs something else, uh, to kind of, I don't know, make her interesting, make her seem like a real character. Make her dimensional? Mm, yeah. I feel like Clara's, when I'm watching an episode with her in it now, it's, she's fun and enjoyable to watch, but then afterwards I'm like, ah, oh, I don't really like her that much, you know? Like, there's nothing to her, really. The actress is good, the character is not interesting. Mm, mm. Right. Well, because the character came with this amazing like hook, and then what, now that that's gone, it's like, okay, well, what is she? What is she doing? Like, why? Why is she even traveling? Who is she doctor? at the core? So what is her motivation? What does she right. want? It can't. You're gonna fucking fly over all over space with some dude just because you think he's hot? That is the dumbest shit. Well, and I was gonna say, I think that's good. That's good for her to sort of um, have that illusion broken in this episode when you see his relationship with the uh, lady from the church and then even like him mentioning, you know, Amy Pond is basically his last, uh, like last, not exact last words, but close to it. Um, I think maybe that's her realizing like she's not the only person in this, in the doctor's life. And so maybe that's going to come play a role. Maybe in, in next season she has a boyfriend or something. Uh, I don't know if she'll be going after Peter Capaldi since he's 60. He's not 60. He's 55. 55. Jesus Christ. I rounded up. I rounded up. Yeah, the rumor is that that school teacher from the start of Day of the Doctor is going to be a companion as well. Which I would like. That would be interesting. Two teachers again. Mm. What did you guys think about the little brief tidbit of Peter Capaldi we got to see? Not enough cursing. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. It wasn't long enough. I wanted like it to be longer. Maybe a minute or a minute and a half. 
you know, I heard a lot of people complaining about it, but when I when I went back to think about it, when David Tennant turned into Matt Smith, I mean, all we got from Matt Smith was a few, like, frantic looks, and then he yelled Geronimo, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. David Tennant was the same. He basically just said Barcelona, and then that was it, but... Exactly. Yeah. So we don't we don't ever get much of the the new doctor. So I felt it was in line with that. I was a little disappointed that he was as like frantic and crazy as all the other ones have been. You know, he just makes a joke about his kidneys being a, a weird color, and then he's like frantically looking at Clara to ask if she can fly the TARDIS, and that was it. I was almost hoping immediately we would see a like a departure from yeah what we've had with, but with ten and still eleven. Cooking at the beginning, you know. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, I'm sure his demeanor will be much different once he's relaxed and yeah has has fully regenerated. Uh, they should um, make him really strange. Like it would have been funnier if you think he was looking at Clara and he's like, "Is this a mirror? I, I can't be a woman." No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like he thinks he's looking at himself. Yeah. That would be good. There's something weird. There's, there's a lot more eyebrows on this one. <laughs> yeah, eyebrows. that's true. Eyebrows are cool. <laughs> yeah, the final shot of uh, of Matt Smith dropping the bow tie on the ground—that was pretty. Uh, Actually, I just thought of something. There, his line, Matt Smith's line about um, his eyebrows is funnier now that he's got massive eyebrows in the next one. What did he, What did he say about eyebrows? He says they're delicate. In uh, when he's got the wig off, <laughs> he does. Oh yeah, that's right. That was a nice touch too. I love bald Matt riding Smith. riding his bald good. head into it. It was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. There was a lot of good humor. I, I did enjoy the uh, the hologram clothes and the family obviously seeing them naked and stuff was funny. And it gets creepier when do you know when they're um when they're teleported down and the angels are attacking uh, Clara and that, and you just think both of them are currently naked and they're like <laughs> yeah, rum, like falling all over themselves. <laughs> yeah, rolling around in the, in the snow <laughs> together. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> hey, how come the angel could touch Clara? And she did get sent back in time. Uh, who knows? I guess because the doctor looked at it just in time to stop it. I don't know. It hadn't activated <laughs> its teleporter thing yet. Exactly. Here's it a, didn't have a good enough grasp yet. Here's here's the observation. I guess this is what will sum up my irritation with like the first, let's say, half hour, is that in Doctor Who, I'm willing to concede a lot of plot holes for the sake of a good story. But it just felt like there wasn't a particularly interesting story to grant all these plot holes a pass. Yeah. That's what I would say. To me, I guess, like... But they acted their butts off. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like you said, the last... I mean, his last final speech, which I'll probably open this segment with, is great. uh, When he's back young again and he's talking to Clara. I mean, that's... Mm -hmm. It was perfect, like, what you expect the Doctor to make when he's making some, some grand speech. Um... But I find like with Doctor Who, with, with mostly any episode, your enjoyment kind of depends whether or not you're you're willing to sort of go for the ride and just sort of accept things. So there's episodes that like I end up not really enjoying because I just the, the conceit bothers me uh, right from the start. Yeah, but I don't know. I enjoyed this. Like when I look back on it, it's like yeah, not much happens in that first half. I mean, there's this mysterious planet. He lands on it, and then he's pretty much stuck there the the whole episode, and you get little like glimpses of him fighting enemies but for the most part i mean nothing really, I really happens i really like i think it's like a second montage where he's um the voiceover is going oh and the doctor fought side by side with the silence and there's all these cool shots of him twirling the cane and explosions yeah what's i really like him. that montage it looks really cool i like the cane yeah yeah, yeah the cane was a good touch did they do all that um, because his knee was all messed up is his knee messed up did he at the time i think he had knee surgery Oh, really? Oh. I didn't even know that. Maybe. That's why they, I thought they made him older. 
because you couldn't move the same. There was rumours going around ages ago that they said he, Matt Smith's doctor was going to lose a leg and have a wooden leg at one point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have been funny. Yeah, that would have been Peg good. legs are cool. <laughs> he could have had the wooden Cyberman's leg. He could have just chopped yeah, it off. Yeah, he chopped off it. the leg of the Cyberman. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I find that I was able to like kind of just enjoy the spectacle of it, and I didn't have a problem with, with plot holes or not with, with everything that was going the on. The one thing I'd probably sort of regret about the episode um, you doing is sort of passing over the, the chance to use his last life as an interesting dramatic point throughout a whole season. Like him knowing from the start, like, oh, I'm on my last life. You know, things are going to go bad, blah, 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 like, and bring more attention to it. They sort of just bring it up in this episode and then are like, okay, I'm finished. I'm over that now. But that's how it's been for a while now with this show where you're like, man, they could have used this obvious thing to their advantage for character development or moving the mm. plot forward or whatever, and they don't take it. Yeah, yeah. That would have been interesting if that was built into his character from the start, I agree. Like, what if he was kind of cowardly? Like, he didn't like to put himself in these grave situations because he knew this was it. That's, it was, I was starting to, like, think of a story, like, a couple of years ago or a year or so ago, and it was just, like, um, him regenerating and being on his last life, but then taking himself out of situations and being more, yeah, like you say, more cowardly and, uh, like, turning his back on things, you know, until the very end where he sort of, accepts it and then does it anyway well that would make his sacrificing himself for this town like that much more meaningful and dramatic if that was the case if this was a big growth for his character and i guess they they do sort of address that that like he always runs away in his box yeah um yeah. but it didn't feel real because i mean really he does, i don't you know he doesn't always run away <laughs> like, like for the most part he, he stays and he fights and he helps mm. i mean that's... seriously yeah that's part of why he gave himself that name that they just hammered home in the fucking 50th Exactly, exactly. I mean, the only exception you can make would be the Time War, but... But he undid that! that. Exactly, and and even that he didn't really run away from. He did what he thought he had to do, so... I also think there's a disconnect with uh, how he sees the John Hurt Doctor, like Captain Grumpy. That guy was not grumpy at all. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't so bad. He may be a little grumpy in the beginning. Yeah. He, gave him, he gave him a little bit of guff. I guess. But no, he wasn't bad. <laughs> he's seen some shit. Uh, but you know, to be fair, this is a man he, he's hated for hundreds and hundreds of years. So Captain Grumpy is probably some more growth on his part. Considering mm-hmm. he used to be someone he wouldn't even name or discuss yeah. or acknowledge. So. Yeah, he could call him a lot worse things. Exactly. So okay, Captain Grumpy, we, I guess, is acceptable. <laughs> That's some real forgiveness upon on his part. So. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, I guess to the, to the future, I mean, I, can you even speculate at this point? I don't what know. What do you guys want to see? What do you hope for with the, the new doctor? What do you think his outfit should be? Yeah, that's, well, that's a hard always one. The discussion, yeah, right? I hope it's not like some sort of jacket and suit combo. So maybe something different somehow. Like, hmm. A cravat! <laughs> yeah, that could work. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you've had two doctors now wearing, I mean, granted, they were very different styles, but two suits um, for the past two doctors, you, you think they would kind of get away from, yeah, a shirt, tie, suit jacket a kind poncho. of uh, kind of combo. Yeah, maybe a poncho, a, poncho. a, a tasteful poncho. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's really, I, I can't really imagine anything at the moment. I can't really pinpoint something 
direct. That's that's probably why the show's not coming back till September. They gotta take all the time to <laughs> the figure out the costume designers are holding it up. <laughs> what are they gonna yeah, do? Yeah, exactly. I just know that Capaldi went shopping for the outfit. Um, oh, did he? Yeah, he was involved in it. They always are kind of involved, but Capaldi. I mean, given that he was a fanboy for it, like Tenet was, he was very excited. Maybe about he would just maybe he would just be like a poet we sort of <laughs> lace. And oh, capes that would be and, fun. Yeah, <laughs> he was like a total like a twee type of a. Yeah. Like a what's the word? I guess like some kind of ponce. Um. Yeah, I don't know what he'll wear, but kind of like, but kind of like I already mentioned, I I would like to see him almost like a fresh start like he yeah like his his memory is mostly gone and he doesn't go into every situation already knowing everything um i think that'd be an interesting arc for for this doctor um so i'd like to see that like a little bit more vulnerable i guess togas uh, togas. togas yeah he could wear a sweet toga <laughs> that would explain Pompeii. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, maybe they'll have like a um, like a, an old fashioned wardrobe scene where he like puts on a toga for a bit and stuff like that. Like <laughs> that would be perfect. Clown suits and stuff, you know. But I think I'm ready for Clara to go. Maybe depend. Uh, she's depends gonna stay. She I heard. Mm. I heard she's gonna stay for half of series eight. Oh, and that's it. I, that's what I heard or read okay. on the internet. And I'd be good with that. Yeah, like, she could have a little bit more closure, um, but I think after this season, like, I'm ready for her to... I'm ready for a companion that doesn't have to be a love interest also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think they're already moving away from. Yeah, I want, like, um, a buddy cop team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we need, like, a, a male companion, like, Jamie, sort of, that level of uh, assertiveness, you know, like... The relationship between the Doctor and the male companion was something that was cool about the second Doctor. Yeah, and Rory in eleven. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Rory. <laughs> um, so yeah, new new companion for sure. Who would you and... if you had to dream cast your new companion? Who would you pick? Oh, I can't. I don't know. You I don't know have... enough like British actresses to be able to to pick. You have to be Handles. Handles. Oh yeah, bring back Handles. That's all I want. Bring him back. He's the best. I mean, why not? Why we haven't we haven't had a non-human companion? Yeah, we need like a robot companion. at all. I mean, yeah. since since the reboot, so yeah, why not? Why not an alien? Didn't companion the fifth Doctor have a robot companion briefly? Uh, chameleon. Chameleon. Yeah, yeah he he's not very good though. <laughs> <laughs> and then canine and stuff. Like I don't know. It'd be cool to to get a something different, or even just a male companion, and not like. There is those uh, rumors about the Strax and all that will be coming back, so they might have a larger role. Oh, yeah. even, Strax for the new I think companion. they've even got. Um, I think they're even going to give them sonic weapons and stuff in the next season. Oh really? Yeah, there was some pretty cool. design competition about um, designing sonic weapons for those three characters, so they might hmm. go down that road. So I guess that's about it. Any any closing remarks? I mean, any any. Closing thoughts on Matt Smith. I mean, this is this is it. It's my favorite new doctor, and he's gone. Your favorite new doctor? Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably say he's my favorite as well. Actually, I still got Tennant at heart. Tennant's great, but just Smith. Maybe it's because him and I are the same age. I feel like I became an adult with him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. It's kind of kind of cute. Did your did your uh, jawline get squarer as well? No, no, unfortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoyed Matt Smith. I, I think it it's going to be hard to separate him from the the explosion in popularity with the show. 
Um, I mean, Tenet started it, but it, I think it really became something else with Matt Smith. And it kind of, it, it's, even though the reboot is now, God, when was the reboot? When was the first season of the reboot? 2005. Wow. So it's already almost been 10 years for that. But it, it, this, Matt Smith's run really felt like a, a whole new direction for the show, um, with Moffat taking over. It grew up. Yeah. And the storytelling became better. There are issues where sometimes it's a bit convoluted, but I feel like it's much grander. Um, and I feel like the Moffat's trying to tell these kind of deeper uh, stories. They're almost psychological, and, you know? Yeah, and it, I feel like Matt Smith will always be sort of intertwined with all that. So um, I, I love David Tennant, but I could easily see how he'd be, Matt Smith would be anyone's favorite doctor. And I, I think he is, uh, yeah, always be synonymous with the show, like really moving into bigger, bolder directions. At least the reboot, uh, since the reboot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he just got some of the best writing, and then that chemistry between uh, Matt Smith and Karen Gillan and uh, Arthur Darvill, it's hard to beat that, because there was, like, an actual friendship, because they were all starting off together brand new. And so, they're all, like, the same age. <laughs> and it created, like, a sense of camaraderie between them, and it really shows yeah. the way that they behaved with each other. Mm. Even this last ten minutes that we got with him and Karen, again, it was just, like, immediately... That's who should be on the show. It, it yeah. makes me sad that uh, that she left because I felt like we would have gotten a much better season seven if she had stayed on. I almost yeah, get the impression yeah. sometimes that maybe there would have been a better story had she stayed and Moffat perhaps didn't anticipate her leaving early. Mm-hmm. That's something I always wonder. It would have been interesting to see um, Amy and Rory – uh, also with uh, Clara, like she comes in as, as and as a third companion sort of thing, and there's like tension going on between all of them. Yeah. Or even if him just phasing between the two and them getting jealous. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's true. Like he's he's going on different adventures with the diff- with different companions. Because there's a little <laughs> bit of that in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, where she was concerned about him having new friends that he was traveling with. Yeah. 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 Mm. So, bravo, Matt Smith. Hi. Did a great job. Brought a lot of new fans into the uh, the show, and we'll see how those fans stick around when an old man takes over. He's uh, not Starting old. in September. I know, but he's old for these people. <laughs> he's, he's, he's much older than us, so. Yeah. He's not, he's not. We'll all be his age before we even know it. <laughs> before the next season starts. Well. I mean, how old uh, are your kids? I'm 28. I'm 26. Yeah. How do you have a kid and you're younger than me? I didn't waste any time. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Exactly. I got to it. Um, so I think that will about do it. Uh, Nicholas and Amanda, thank you as always for being here. Um, and we will we'll, we'll revisit some old Doctor Who in a few months. Yeah, sure, buddy. We'll be we'll we'll be going through withdrawals. I know I will be, and I'll, I'll happily watch some old Who. Mm-hmm. Enemy of the World's uh, a great start. It's a very good. Episode. It is good, yeah. And it is on Netflix, right? on uh, Apple TV, iTunes. Okay. Okay. So, I'll find it. I'll find it somewhere. Daily Motion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That might be how I'll just watch the whole run. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks, guys. And we will talk to everyone later. Okay. Bye. Bye.